What's going on, guys? Tesh Reddles here with the Too Much Test podcast. We've got some special guests here today. Of course, I'm joined by Sam Stolt and David DiMasquita. We also have Seth and Tony Huge. Um, just so you know, all the stuff that we're affiliated with, all the companies that we have linked with are in the description. Um, and go check out Seth and Tony on Instagram and YouTube, and I'll let them plug, uh, you know, let you know where, where they are, and then we'll jump right in. So... Um, so you guys could uh, follow me at Seth Jordan underscore 3.0. Um, that's my Instagram handle. If you guys want to go check it out. Tony. It'd be a lot more interesting if I had a blow up doll sponsor or something, but to me, uh, <laughs> just in hand and uh, my new Instagram, Tony.huge, because my other ones always get deleted. So that's the new one I need to bring people over to. <laughs> this is what your, your like sixth or 10th Instagram that's been deleted. Uh, I've had a few Instagram deleted, a few, a lot of YouTube channels deleted, a Facebook deleted, website deleted, uh, a lot of things. Wow, you got a website? Yeah, the government seized one of my websites a long time ago. And then after then, I, I started learning how to avoid government seizures of websites. But yeah. That's yeah, I'm really curious. Could you go into details around that? Because I know that sometimes like you have to like offshore basically servers into China so that the government can't seize it because Chinese servers are on lockdown from sometimes the government getting in. So I'm, I'm actually really curious how you go about that. So the government can seize anything that's, uh, that they have access to where the, the hosting or the, the, yeah, the servers or the domain names also if they have access to the domain name registers. So like GoDaddy or any of these mainstream ones, it's really easy the government to just take your domain. And then you'll never get it back because once you go once the government seizes something, the process to get it back is just so expensive and difficult, you can forget it. So and it's tough because it's not there's no real due process. You know, it's not like you get a trial to determine whether they should take your website. They click one button and they take it. Same thing with your money in your bank account or pretty much anything else in America. If they want to seize something, they push a button, boom, it's gone. And now it's up to you to try to get it back from them. Good luck. You know, it's interesting. I mean, before before even all this whole shenanigans happened the past few years, like Tony was one of the first people that kind of like opened my eyes to how the, you know that so much stuff is censored. You know, I never really, never really thought about it. I mean, I know that certain stuff you can't put on Instagram, but I didn't realize that it goes all the way up to the top of the media. And it, it's pretty scary that com, you know, I don't even want to say the word, but ivermectin or DNP, you know, that's, they have studies that show it works, but it's being suppressed because they want you to get the jab where the government pays them Pfizer 44 bucks. Didn't they just hit, they hit like $211 billion this quarter of taxpayer money. Uh, yeah. I'll let you guys go with that. Uh, the, my my girlfriend got coerced uh, with her job. She's going to lose her job if she doesn't get take the gene therapy. So uh, she just went through and did that. And last this morning, wakes up and um, she's like, "Oh man, I was shivering last night." She I'm brushing my teeth and um, she comes in to shower and she ends up like turning the shower on and then just lays down basically on the floor because she's like, "I feel like." utter garbage and she's been basically in bed all day um you know i put in i had you know vitamin d uh vitamin c zinc uh nac baby aspirin on hand but um she's still not feeling she's feeling a little bit better now but so a lot i think you, you just have go through this like a month ago 
I I had, yeah, I had Rona for a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, I had it really bad. Um, not that I would tell anybody to get any prophylactic injection to prevent it, because I think if you have the right medication on hand, you don't need it. I think the medication is far more effective than the injections, but they're suppressing the education information so people don't have access to buy the things they need or the knowledge on how to use them. So, yeah, I, I, you know what's interesting now is I'm seeing so much, even in the mainstream news, a lot of the side effects and adverse reactions are coming out. Like they try to suppress it as best they can, but now it's really leaking out. I mean, what I, I, you know, so I'm in the media and I get information from media, but what I trust more is real world accounts, you know, and, and the mainstream people will say, oh, those are anecdotal reports. Those aren't clinical studies. Those don't matter. But if you look, if you really read clinical studies, they are all created with uh, a bias or a, or a goal or financed by someone. And, and they're supposed to disclose the financial interests of the studies, but I don't think that usually they're disclosed very well because I think there's always a bias in, in science. So you have all the mainstream medical reports saying, oh, it's safe and it's effective. But all real world, all the people I'm talking to about it, they still end up catching the flu. So it doesn't seem to reduce the likelihood of them catching it at all. Uh, their symptoms seem just as bad, and they have all these other weird side effects that they would never have had if they didn't have the injection. So, I mean, unfortunately, the reality is almost everybody's going to end up getting it because they're going to keep getting more aggressive with it. So we've got to learn how to deal with it. But I hope what people learn from this is not to trust the government the next time the government tries something like this. I hope enough people will suffer enough from the injections to then question maybe I should look into what I'm injecting in my body a little bit before trusting my government. So I can add some real research to this if you want to. So because I'm directly dealing with people's blood work and lab work, and doctors will not run lab work, by the way. A lot of people don't know this. Won't run lab work within three months of getting the injection. Um, but hormone replacement clinics and online clinics, they will run full lab panels. Uh, I've had women that have literally had a heart arrhythmia that have been going to the ER room two to three times a week um, because it completely burned out the adrenals, which is still not recognized in the community as adrenal fatigue. It's called HPA dysfunction, but essentially your hormones are going to shut down from it. Her hormones completely shut off. Her thyroid, she had Hashimoto, so she had her Hashimoto's got worse. Um, so it was a whole downward spiral effect. And I basically had her reset her adrenals and I got her to stop going to the ER room, thank God. But it took about a month, two month period of time uh, I have had special ops people that are forced to get the vaccine right now. One of them got a J&J. &J. He went there think, uh, to the ER room thinking that it was a blood clot. And sure enough, they're like, it's not a blood clot, so you can go home. These are unknown circumstances that you're dealing with, unknown symptoms. Go home. I gave him a protocol and it kicked it within about 24 hours. He was feeling better. Um, cinnamon, by the way, cinnamon bark is really good. Um, it's super underrated for killing all viruses. Uh, and then if you want to talk about another drug that no one has mentioned ever in mainstream media or even talked about it combating the side effects of COVID, it's Stanzanol, Winstrol. Um, Stanzanol binds to the ACE receptor. And in theory, it actually could counteract the side effects from COVID because COVID would have trouble binding if something is already bound to that ACE receptor. So um, there, there's quite a few drugs. Um, I combined ephedrine and albuterol, which is obviously hard on the heart, but I was basically interchanging them um, with the long ester of the ephedrine with bronchade. And then I was doing albuterol as needed to make sure my lung symptoms stayed subsided. Um, 
Excedrin migraine helped with the symptoms of the migraine. That's the only thing I found to help. CBD or Indica helped with the body aches. Um, there, there's a, a lot of things out there that can help with the symptoms. Uh, quercetine helps to a degree. I was on it when I got sick with it. Um, but the blood work and the lab work that I've seen from people getting vaccinated is terrible. There's two records now of women that have gotten vaccinated that were breastfeeding their babies and the babies got blood clots and died. Two on record now. Um, so it is creating a issue. And with the women, I see it more so than the men. And the, it has to do with the immune system and the response and how fragile their HPA and uh, ovarian access ways are where they're losing their menstrual cycles due to it. And what a doctor is going to do is, oh, you'll be fine. Or, oh, here's birth control. But birth control does not fix the root cause. The root cause is caused from usually your adrenals that are coming offline because it's getting such a stress response that you're pumping out cortisol, you're getting insulin resistant. Next thing you know, you're going to develop PCOS over time because you're insulin resistant. It's a huge downward spiral effect. And these are things that just people don't know and they're not talking about and they're massive systems. So very few doctors know entire systems that and how they interlink together because they're specialized in a certain location. Not that they don't know what they're doing, but they're very, very specialized and they're all reading FDA approved research, not experimental research. And we have antidotal evidence and Tony knows this all too well. He's all about antidotal evidence um, in the real world. And real world situations are not always what they are on paper either. So I heard that I need to get on a Winstraw cycle ASAP for my health. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I heard there. There were a lot of words there and definitely get some Stanazol or Stanazol. So. <laughs> So to, I guess, Tony and Seth, what's something cool that you guys have seen in like bodybuilding gear, compound type stuff, anything that you've found interesting lately? Good question. Um, Tony, you want to take it? Uh, well, I mean, we'll see what I'm taking. I mean, what am I taking right now is usually what I'm interested in. So I'm usually just taking TRT dosage of testosterone. I usually don't use very high dosages. And then I'm adding on top of that a little bit of Anivar, a little bit of RAD 140, and uh, I'll throw in like even just 10 milligrams of D-ball just for just that tiny little bit of water retention, you know. Uh, the insulin and the growth hormone, um, I usually, you know, I don't like doing frequent injections, but, uh, you know, Guru Amin is the one who's a big fan of very frequent, very low dosage growth hormone and insulin, a little bit different protocol. So I got back into that a little bit, and then I was talking to Trevor and decided to increase my dosages a little bit. So... You know, I have to say that it's really amazing feeling when your IGF levels start coming up and your just muscles just feel anabolic and you just you eat food and it just goes in the muscle like a sponge. Like that's the feeling I'm looking for. And that's I got that back again after after two weeks of the Rona and being so depleted and feeling just so stringy and, and small for me, it was still big for a lot of people, I understand. But I, I didn't I, I just felt weak and vulnerable. So now I'm sort of got that that full feeling again, that tight feeling. And that's what I like. It's not all about just uh, like looking like a bodybuilder. I mean, I like that good look too, but it's like that feeling. Like I like to feel the muscle. And when I go in the gym, I like to feel the muscle. So I got that nice anabolic feeling back, which is from the HGH and the IGF, especially because I'm, I'm going lower on the gear. My theory being, you know, lower on the things that were the side effects increase with the dosage and instead spend a little bit more time spending on the compounds that become limiting factors. So back over to IGF, HGH, and insulin, moderate 
dosages and now feeling really good. I know I didn't mention any like really amazing compounds there, but it's it's kind of how it all fits together that that makes it amazing. None no one of those compounds is amazing by itself. Do you, do you do you do stuff specifically to control blood sugar? Like I know you have your slim pills. Do you do those regularly while on your some type of HGH protocol or something for insulin sensitivity? That's probably the one of the most important thing and underrated things, even though it's getting more attention. <laughs> so yeah, I take slim pills every day, and how much slim pills I take depends on how many carbs I'm eating. And the more insulin I'm using, the more I need to get my insulin sensitivity back. So I always keep my insulin sensitivity good, even when I'm using insulin. So technically, I could always use insulin and never stop because I'm never losing my insulin sensitivity. It never gets unhealthy. So uh, uh, if you just take a 24-hour period, what I'll usually do is like uh, insulin and growth hormone in the morning. This is if I'm trying to get my weight back. Insulin growth hormone in the morning and pre or post-workout. And then Sometime in the afternoon with my big carbohydrate meal also, and also before bed, then I'll take some slim pills. So that allows my, I'll keep my insulin level lower when I don't have growth hormone present. When my growth hormone's present, I want my insulin level higher. So I want insulin and growth hormone present at the same time in high levels. And then when my growth hormone is low, I don't want, I don't need insulin also, so then I'm using slim pills to shuttle carbs into my muscle instead of relying on my body's own insulin, instead of injecting insulin. So from, yeah. a, dosi- from a dosing standpoint, if you're so post-workout, right, you just went to the gym, you're like, okay, do I use and, and, uh, this and this? Uh, I don't know if it's one-to-one. In, in that meal, even though you might have carbs post-workout, just say, for example, are you not going to actually add insulin into that meal because... Uh, insulin is going to be elevated because the insulin and HGH is going to be elevated from the post-workout injection and wait until, like, okay, well, in three hours or four hours, whatever, I'm going to have a snack and I'll have some more carbs at that point. But both of those hormones are going to be lower at that point. So do you just change it up like that? So the, the slim pills have so many ingredients in them with so many different half-lives and active lives. So it's, it's kind of like you take slim pills in the morning to some extent, it's going to last all day, and to some extent, it's only going to last three or four hours. So I don't with, – with the insulin and the growth hormone injection, I can time it, and I know exactly how long it's going to last in my body. With the slim pills, not so much. So it's more like I just need to get the slim pills in any time of day, but I prefer to use them uh, at – at the times when I'm not on the high, higher d- amount of insulin. So like the evening time, insulin levels come down, and the slim pills is what's shuttling the carbs into the muscle. But also the more frequent I'm using insulin, the more likely I'm just going to take slim pills anytime just to try to maintain some insulin sensitivity because there's times in between. So like when the growth hormone and insulin is present, I want them to go in a curve together and then when it comes down, I want to be relying on slim pills. I don't want my body – I basically don't want my body to have to produce any insulin is what's happening. I'm completely overriding my own insulin production. Yeah. So I'm really curious. Uh, you didn't talk about dosing. So um, you started that you started off lower and then you increased. I'm guessing you started out like probably two IUs, just like a smaller dose, and then you took it up to four IUs. Um, have you – and one further question because I've set this last time. Are you doing blood glucose monitoring at all, or at least at a facet level? I'm just curious. Yeah, or blood work. What blood work are you doing to check insulin sensitivity? Or are you doing like 
just for your three month, you know, H whatever that is, HBAC one or whatever, or just checking glucose or you check all of it. So I've, I always check my hemoglobin A1C, which takes sort of like your last six months insulin sensitivity or your blood sugar levels, which would would give you some indirect information about insulin sensitivity. So that's always been fine. My hemoglobin A1C has always been within in, within range. Uh, I I try to I try to keep I, I try to keep it to where if I were to take let's say three units of insulin on an empty stomach, I would feel it. You know, like if I was diabetic, I might not even really feel three units of insulin, right? But if I'm sensitive to it, three units is going to make me feel a little bit hypo. So that's tr- how I try to judge my insulin sensitivity. I take my fasted blood glucose in the morning sometimes also and whenever I get blood work. And that's usually okay. That usually ch- that changes so quickly. Like I lose my insulin sensitivity. I can lose it within a couple days by taking high-dose insulin. And I can regain it within a couple days of just going low-carb or you know, doing all uh, many other things that increase insulin, so using slim pills or whatever. So, you know, it's so hard. People always want protocols on things like growth hormone and insulin. Like you can give, you could give a protocol, but it would be like so generic. It's really not going to be optimized for the person. It's really hard. Like you have to learn how your body reacts and how hard you can push the limit. Cause it's like a odometer. It's like, uh, no, no, no. It's like a tachometer. And it's like, how, how far do you want to redline? So if we're doing the mass blast transformation, then I'm redlining it, and we're taking a lot of insulin. We're doing a lot of crazy things to get our insulin sensitivity back, and we're trying to eat as many carbs as possible. We're trying to eat 10,000 calories if we can because if the hormones, hormones are right, all of that will go into the muscle and not go into fat. It's all about nutrient partitioning. And the number one factor in nutrient partitioning is probably insulin sensitivity or the most important one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one reason why I just check fasted blood glucose for myself, at least, is actually cortisol response. Uh, it's not necessarily just insulin sensitivity factors because cortisol and sleep, you can tell if you're sleeping well by way how well you're waking fast in the morning. And you're right. You can feel you should feel insulin. If you don't feel insulin, then you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. Like you're either like taking the insulin for the food instead of just taking insulin for the factor that you're taking pressure off the pancreas to drive as a shuttling agent. Um, and the way that you're talking about is actually really cool because this is what people don't know is that when your growth hormone is in the system, it basically blocks glucose uptake. So he's actually replacing that piece of the shuttling agent and he's using insulin to take that piece. And then when the IGF one tail life is coming into play, then he's using his slim pills to create insulin sensitivity would because IGF one, when it spikes, it actually helps with fat uptake as well as glucose uptake. So it's actually, this is what people don't talk about. And I, it's really cool. Just like listening to someone actually doing it the right way. They're talking about using bioidenticals. I think bioidenticals are the way to go. You re- reduce the chances of those androgenic side effects from all the other drugs. Um, so I was, I was really happy with like what you said you were just on. So do you, it was cool. Just wanted to Do you guys think about, cause there's some links between elevated IGF levels or the other way around, actually, I think it's low IGF levels and longevity, right? So then people think, you know, the high IGF levels reduces lifespan, right? So there's some data out there that seems to support that. So uh, just to the last 90 days or so, once per month, I'm doing incorporating a 24-hour fast um, into my, and I'm just doing it once per month, every like the beginning of the month, I'm just going to incorporate it. Have you guys considered that? Because that's one of the things that you can do to like obviously increase insulin sensitivity without using compounds 
because I think that we all love compounds; they're a ton of fun. But I, I, I for myself, I always like, always like to be in a state of changing shit up because there's whether it's one individual compound and you build a tolerance to it, or you know start experiencing side effects or something else. Changing that perpetually, where I could use compounds, but okay, let's now incorporate a fast for 24 hours once you know a month to like help with that kind of stuff because the blood pressure benefits, like cholesterol benefits, a myriad of other benefits associated with it. But also one of them is um, lowering IGF one levels because, like, obviously in bodybuilding, it's like oh, we fucking like IGF levels high, but then there's some data that points to the other direction. What are you guys thoughts on that? Um, I'm going to take on this one. Um, so I like fasting, but I mean, I'd rather have some food in my system. So like for me, I do like a low carb, high carb, but if I want to change the resistance of the, um, the insulin or the IGF one levels, I would just do no carbs at all. And then add in carbs as it increases throughout the week. So like do a couple low carb days with no carbs at all and high fats, and then start adding in the carbs and maybe even doing like a fast at the very end of the week. So you do like three days uh, low carb and four days higher carbs or, or elevating, escalating dosages of carbs? Yeah, pretty much depends on how you want to do it yourself. But I mean, you could change the you know patterns of the high carb, low carb feel. Dave, Dave or what do you guys think? Or Tony? Yeah. Or I, I, love, yeah. I love cycling the carbs, um, but that's a little bit, that's a little, that's great because that's for insulin sensitivity and, and also for longevity. And, and because, because I'm going to talk about the pendulum theory in a second, but even with carbohydrates, like if you have too much carbohydrates for too long, it's not really beneficial for bodybuilding. And then if you have too little carbohydrates, it's not beneficial. But if you give yourself periods of high carbohydrates and periods of low carbohydrates, it's kind of like tricking the body. So with IGF, it's the same pendulum theory. So I actually have times when I let my IGF go very low. Like I was okay with Rona fasting for two weeks. I'm like, you know what? Let's get my mTOR down as low as possible. Let's get my IGF level as low as possible. Then I'm just going to be more sensitive to it. I'm going to give myself a break. And all the problems we see with chemistry abuse, actually people not even intending to abuse chemistry. They're just using it chronically without taking yep. a break. And then they're, yep. they lose the benefits and the side effects accumulate. But with IGF, it's the same thing. Like you take IGF LR3, that's going to be the most extreme example of IGF because you're directly injecting IGF in a, in a higher dosage than you'd ever your body could ever make and you see you lose the sensitivity to it the side effects are going to keep increasing right you're still going to grow tumors and shorten your lifespan and all this stuff but you're not going to build muscle from it after a period of time so like i don't like these igf cycles that are six weeks long or two months long or i like shorter periods of time because while you're on it it's like okay now you have no excuse but to grow if your diet and training is right and your anabolic and you've got igf in there you're going to grow so maximize the growth during that time like eat more and do everything right during that time and then when everything is not optimal then just don't use igf at all so i was talking to coach trevor the other day and i was saying how i like these shorter igf cycles and he said well he's like i think the healthiest way to do it would be to use igf lr if you're going to use igf lr3 igf lr3 two days per week like monday and friday 
And then during those days, those are your days where you're blasting and you're training hard, you're eating a lot, and then you let your IGF levels come down other days. I'm like, okay, uh, I haven't done that too often. I usually do do shorter cycles. When I do the transformations, you know, we're going all out for a week or nine days or whatever. And, and yes, it's very unhealthy, but it's for such a short period of time that nothing chronic is going to, we're not going to shorten our lifespan. We're not going to grow tumors. Nothing bad is going to happen, but we're going to put on a ton of muscle. And then we cruise on that muscle later and just maintain that muscle. And then we let the mTOR and the IGF come back down. So we're balancing longevity with also maximum muscle building. And it's all about the pendulum. The further you swing it one way, then the further you should swing it the other way. And the more important it is to swing it the other way. And then I think, I think that kind of segues into something that Tony actually said earlier that I don't know if a lot of you caught. He doesn't take high, like he doesn't really like super high dosages of stuff. We talked to Zach. He was saying the same thing, David. And we all pretty much agree that, That's you know, you know, you take 100 milligrams of trend, it's going to give you a certain amount of benefits. Then you go to 200, you're going to get a little bit less reward and then 300 less reward. So when you talk about these guys taking three grams, you know, it's just like cars. You know, you have a 10 second car and you add 100 horsepower, you may get to nines. That next 100 horsepower, now you're at eight and a half, you know. So I just found that interesting. And I also kind of want to segue, you know, people look at Tony Huge and, you know, his persona is this crazy guy that takes all the crazy stuff and all these huge dosages and he's getting all the kids on SARMs. And it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, you like to run lower stuff and that you will do a go a little crazy for a little bit, but then you bring it back with the pendulum. It's all about balance. And I thought that was interesting. I let you guys uh, discuss that. So I'm going to answer Sam's question really fast using Tony's response on the pendulum and the abuse of chemistry by accident. So um, one, blood work is great because, for instance, I, I'm prescripted growth hormone. I was on four. I used a growth hormone for the last three months. On the last blood work, my IGF-1 score was a 225, 245, around that range. And this last blood work, I was at 165. Now, am I going to freak out? No, that's great for longevity. It means I'm getting the growth hormone effect without getting the IGF-1 negative response. The body still, with growth hormone and insulin in particular, they do like that those cycles. The body likes cycles. And the abuse of chemistry is what he's referring to is the fact that if you take one testosterone shot a week, guess what? On TRT, which is scripted at 200 milligrams, whatever, that is making a more perfect line than the body normally has because it's the pendulum like he's talking about. So I think of it as a pinging system. So you have the low end and the high end and your testosterone level bottoms out and then it hits and it starts to increase again. This is what it does at a natural level on a, on a scale at 14 days instead of seven days. So when you're hitting a shot every seven days, that is t- the abuse of chemistry is what he's talking about. So I like the theory. I like the cycling, but the body tries to go through its natural cycles to a degree. And you have to take breaks. Like you can't just take androgenic steroids year round. I don't agree with it. I think that TRT, in my opinion, even up to 300 milligrams, right? So like sports replacement dosages is what I call it. Um, even at that level, <laughs> you like that. That's, I like that. I like that. But little, little difference in the <laughs> terminology there. <laughs> so, TRT um, plus. Growth, huh? TRT plus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's great, though, because like growth hormone, for instance, instead of taking direct IGF-1, I don't touch direct IGF-1 for the fact that 
it, you do get the malignancy that comes with it. Now, I won't experiment with it. Why? Because I've seen four use of growth hormone ping back at 465 IGF-1 on my scale before. And then I've also seen it at 160 in my body. So my body's going to go through those natural cycles. So you need to learn your body. And it's good to have raw numbers and data to go off because I am not you. And my body's also going to go through changes. For instance, I'm fighting SIBO, leaky gut, and um, with candida overgrowth right now. So I'm going through a kill phase. I guarantee you my blood work right now is completely different than it's ever been my entire life. Um, and every single person's prep, for instance, for bodybuilding is going to be completely different. Every peak week is going to be different. There are millions of variables that come into the equation. It's a puzzle piece and you piece it together and you figure out what the best solution is for you at that moment in time. So, uh, I'm just going to punt it off after that. Well, the, I, for the last probably 24 to maybe 36 months, I've been doing something where I do roughly speaking, it's perpetually changing, but Five days on, I joined research with SARM, so I'll research trade five days on. And, and the things like RAD, I generally will not research with on a Friday or a Thursday. And then weekends, I take off. And, and, but some weeks, I'll do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Some days, I'll do like four days a week. But the dosage, the total milligram load, unless it's S4 or I'm running some weird experiment or something, is only 100 milligrams. And I've been doing it for about 24 months, maybe 36 months, but taking that time off, like there's some days where I will just do hundred milligrams in day one, but then I don't do anything for six days. I, I, I have a TRT base, so I do 225 milligrams a week. Um, and I'll take a hundred additional milligrams of SARMs, but that might be like one SARM or it could be like 50 of one, 50 of another. And then I don't do anything for six days until the time is to do it again. And I've, been consistently able to make progress but i think it goes back to if you want to call it pendulum theory or you know you decrease your sensitivity you build up a tolerance side effects and i've been able to continue to maintain the progress while not increasing the dosing the compounds in that 100 milligrams like the the variety of compounds also changes on a weekly basis but you know what I mean? Like the, depending on how I end up switching it up in that particular week or what I'm actually going to be tested. Have you guys ever tried things like that before or heard of crazy shit like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, do something. Go, go ahead. Um, Don't go, I, Seth. You, Seth, go. Okay. Um, so I do something very similar. So like my approach, if I'm like researching with SARMs or any sort of gear or anything like that. Um, so I'll do like, you know, one compound or two compounds on like, Thursday or Friday, maybe even Saturday, take a whole week off, just do TRT my whole entire week and then come back again and then do like two days of something else. So like I'm shocking my body with the research chemical that I'm using. So it's always going to respond differently the next time I use it. So that's like kind of like what I do. But I mean, I also experiment other ways too. So like, you know, everyone has different theories of running things and plus their dosages and how they use things. So, I mean, like, I don't think there's no wrong way of doing things. It just depends on how you want to run experiment-wise. So I I had to go through each compound by itself first so I know what it's doing in the body. So I had to to go through that, just like I had to go through elementary school, but I don't want to go back to elementary school, right? Now (laughs) I'm an adult. Now I know what these things do, and now I take whatever I feel like it whenever I feel like it. 
So for me, I'm always rotating compounds. And my other theory is that when, I mean, when we look at the studies of like long-term side effects of these things, okay, it's true that things like DECA and TREN especially, like they have long-term side effects, but, but the short-term side effects, they don't turn into long-term side effects unless you're using it long-term, you know? So I, I figure there's probably some side effects that SARMs might have that we're not even aware of yet, but if I'm using them for shorter cycles, the, the side effects are never going to really accumulate. So I like switching between compounds because I like the idea of cutting off any potential side effect that's, that's accumulating while still getting the muscle because they all build muscle. We know that for sure. It's just a question of like, what are the secondary effects we're not sure of? So that's one of the reasons why I like cycling them and, and having levels go up and down. Yeah. Well, you, so I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about like synergistic, you know, using multiple compounds, but I wanted to touch on something uh, David said. So he's talking about the natural cycle of testosterone, you know, you do once a week and then it tapers down. What are you guys' thoughts on, do you think, I mean, propionate is obviously closer to what your body's natural production is. I mean, do you think that that would have any overall long-term health benefit or to, you know, doing TRT basically in a very similar fashion to the way your body would normally produce it and go? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a hard question. So they made testosterone undecanate, which you're talking 14 day half life, just to keep it as stable as you could. And they actually stopped using it. And the utilization ratio in the body is actually relatively low. I think it's like 65 percent or something like that. Versus like an it's going to be around 74 percent, 75 percent around that range. And cypionate's around the 70 percent marker too. Most of them are around the 70 percent marker, I think. Besides like undecanate. Um, to be honest, like it makes test is test is test. That's what I always say. <laughs> like I want your body likes homeostasis. It likes to create homeostasis to the best of your ability. I don't know mm. if like e even like the uh, I could talk about stacking the compounds later, but I I like to know what's going on in the body with what I have in it. I don't like like random variables like the elementary school thing. I like to keep in mind what happened in elementary school so that history doesn't repeat itself again. You know, it's like the, the history repeats itself if you don't choose to learn from it. And uh, unfortunately, that's what we're seeing nowadays in the social world. But um, at, to a degree, uh, that's where I like to keep it. I like to know what my body does. But then again, my body has also a little adapted slowly over time. So I do think it's time to go back to revert back to what happened in elementary school again to see if it's still responding the same way. For instance, trend. The last time I remember when I was younger and I took it, like the first time I ever took it, I felt like a god. And I probably ran more trend than I ever needed to run my entire life on that cycle. And I actually don't remember. I think it was probably like 500 milligrams or something. Some crazy Ooh, amount, wow. right? Like you see, yeah, you say it nowadays and you're like, holy crap, you look back. And then like now it's like, if you're breaking a threshold of like 300 milligrams, you, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't think that people like, I honestly think hundred milligrams to 200 milligrams of a compound that strong is plenty. And um, you have to kind of revert and re-theorize what is going on in your own body um, without in with looking at individual compounds. And I don't like doing things like two days on or three days on or anything like that. I want two weeks. If it's an oral, I want two weeks on. I need to know how my body's responding because I need that data point for later on. If I'm going to, especially if I'm going to add something else into the equation, I want to know what's happening with my body because as we age, our 
body ages too. Our body chemistry changes. Uh, just like the taste buds, our taste buds change. I think is every like five years or six years, like our taste buds completely change. Like I used to hate Brussels sprouts. Now I love Brussels sprouts. I don't know. I call it still call them Brussels farts because they smell like them, but hey. <laughs> I think that's something that we on this call kind of uh, don't talk about enough, but is the elementary stage of things where I think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of the similarly, like there was years at a time where it's like, you do three cycles and each one is eight weeks. And then you're like with all different compounds to understand how you respond and like how you're recovering. And then you might do the next year you do four cycles or five cycles, or you try something different and you test it out for three, four five years before you really be like, okay, I'm responding to this in this dose around this way. Let's try this with this different thing because you've had, years and years worth of experience trying out individual compounds at different dosages for different time periods to understand like how you're responding to them. One, one thing that we that like, I don't think it seems like not enough people talk about because we have all the different drugs, which is tons of fun to talk about. Right. But then at some point you get to that threshold and you start getting a lot more side effects, but then there's the mental side of things, but also like, healing one's body which could be mental as well but that healing the body in other ways can actually lead to greater benefits at that same level of of dosing which nobody fucking talks about you know what i kind of wanted to think about is so when i first learned about like steroids um there were forums. It was kind of the earlier days of the internet. It wasn't like social media where you could just listen to podcasts or you had Wikipedia to look stuff up. You know, it was basically just forums. And, you know, I learned that 500 milligrams of tests is the beginner cycle. And then you take Clomid when you come off. And think about the kids these days that are growing up that even know what trend is. I didn't even know what trend is, well, it was back then. And me and my buddies had a bottle, got a bottle of Sustanon. And we were like, oh shit, we got Sustanon. This is like super test. It's four different testosterone. We're going to get so fucking jacked. Um, and it's just think about the kids that are, that are, you know, are exposed to all these different compounds and all this information and how stupid you were as a kid. For example, I learned 500 tests and Clomid to come off. Um, I had no idea what estrogen was. I was so bloated at 500 milligrams. You know, I looked all puffy and red. And I had no idea what estrogen or AIs are. And so I decided that because my first cycle, I got real big. Well, I put on a lot of weight and then I lost all of it, obviously. Um, then my next cycle, when I was PCTing, I decided to add in Winstrol because I figured Winstrol is going to help me keep those gains while, you know, so just think about all these kids being exposed to these compounds like Tren and all that back. And they don't know their ass from their elbow. They haven't done research like this. So it's, it's scary that high schoolers are taking trend and Tony, what, what's, what's your, what's, or, or Seth or anybody really, what's your, the next experiment that you're excited to, when you get back to a spot where you're like, okay, I'm going to be testing something else out. What's the next experiment you want to test with whatever it is and how you're going to do it. I want to give MGF a little more attention, you know, in MGF instead of IGF. So I don't know if I've ever given MGF a fair shake, like really to take it consistently. Uh, and then also IGF death. You know, I, I, I prefer LR3 because it lasts longer, but then it also has more potential for side effects and you desensitize faster. 
And IGF death is a little bit less convenient, but if I'm actually going to prepare for a show, like maybe in December in Thailand, there's a show, then okay, I should, then I'll find a little bit of the motivation to do the extra shots per day and bring the syringe with the ice pack and all, and, and all that. So yeah, MGF and IGF deaths are two of the exciting ones. Um, two of SARMs that I experimented with more recently. So, so I normally I do just choose what I want to take on a daily basis, but I do also set aside times when it's time to experiment with something new. So I did do a, a very controlled uh, experiment with uh, AC262 and RAD150, also known as TBL150. These are two uh, SARMs that are less popular. And, and so those exper experiments went really well. And, and it, at first, I thought, oh, why do, why do I want to try? I had, I had actually experimented with these years ago, too, but, but I just didn't give them a lot of attention like I did this time. Because, okay, what happened this time is I actually had a bunch of bodybuilders who were all thought, like, let's try something new. And I'm like, yes, okay, here it is. Let's do this arm <laughs> together, and we'll take the same dosage for the same period of time so we can all compare notes. Like, that's how you can really figure out what's going on. Because if you all experience the same side effect, then you know, okay, it's definitely that. You know? yeah. Otherwise, it's too many variables. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I want to get back to um, more experiments with those on more different types of people. Like, uh, we did it mostly with guys who were on a TRT, but I want to try it on someone who's a natty, you know, and, and see how they respond to it and at different dosages. And, you know, we're just picking of AC262. We just picked the dosage of 30 milligrams. We have no idea whether the dosage <laughs> should be 10 milligrams or 100 milligrams, right? We're like, okay, we'll pick like a RAD 140 or an Austrian type dosage, like 30 milligrams. And it worked out good, but I actually think it was a little too strong. I think uh, they could have probably gotten the same benefits from 20 milligrams with less. They, they felt like aggression and anxiety from it, which is interesting because I didn't feel it so much, but three of the other guys did. So I think that is a common side effect of the AC262. Hmm. I guess mine's not super interesting, but I kind of want to do like a joint relief stack. Um, basically, we'll test, obviously, but I want to do DECA, uh, Osterine, and the well, DECA test and Osterine, and probably like some collagen supplements on the side and just see if I can really alleviate a lot of the shoulder pain. I've got some pain under my left kneecap when I do squats or like leg press. I just want to see if all three of those could, could maybe help relieve the shoulder pain a little bit. What, Dave or Seth? Um, well, since the last podcast, um, I was doing the TRT dose of 250 milligrams and the DHEA on top of that with some Slim Pill and Rad. Um, I actually added in MK677 to that mix. So I've actually been eating a lot more and staying leaner. And then I actually add in Osterine on my workout days. So I'm kind of like experimenting with like little dosages here and there. And there's upping the doses and lowering them to see what kind of like results I get and just kind of going from there. But I'd like to add in like a little bit of Anavar probably after Olympia, kind of see how my body responds to that. Try to. Dave, what about you? What, what's the next thing that you're going to be experimenting with? You're surprised for your health, I bet. Oh my gosh. You have no idea how excited <laughs> I am to even take anything again, man. It's been so long. So, Pete, take halogen type two, by the way, if you want your joints to feel better. You'll take a more advantage of it with the DECA. Um, Oh, okay. So Wait, here, I want to take what halogen type? Oh, oh, collagen type two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Type two, it helps the joints. It's basically, it's a more expensive version of collagen, but that's the one that actually helps like joint recovery uh, more than anything right. else. Um, and, and I think it's tendons as well, right? Um, with, with DECA, you have a increased synthesis of, 
uh, collagen. So if you're basically giving your body the raw materials, it's bound. To, you would think that you, it's going to have an increased effect from that. In theory, though, if you just do protein, then it should have the same effect, right? <laughs> so, but um, yeah. So as far as my experiment goes, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm so I'm a blank slate right now. I haven't taken an androgenic drug in almost a year now since the last competition for Universe. Um, wow. Yeah. So I was I was cycling up. And it was going to be, I was going to basically be doing a test DECA with mass, mass just to control the estrogen control a little bit. I'm so low amount of it. Um, and then I was going to actually run a longer cycle, probably 16 week total cycle um, and invert it and basically switch, remove the DECA, add Primo in instead of the mast, and then add in like a hundred milligrams of trend to see actually what the effects of the trend were when I flip out from that DECA to the different, basically different androlones. Um, and that's what I was going to do. Well, like two weeks into the cycle, I was like, I can't eat food. Um, and this is when my SIBO flared up from COVID. So COVID basically dumped out my entire gut and I think it triggered my SIBO. Um, so I was, I've been eight, I've been eating like a bikini girl for literally a year now. Um, and somehow I'm still 215 pounds, but, uh, I'm, going to see how big I can get. I think I'm going to get hit test and primo only. Um, I want to see if I can run it to the moon without side effects. No, I'm just playing. I'm not going to run it, <laughs> but uh, you can run it relatively high without side effects. They balance each other. They're very synergistic. It's kind of like test and mast. Um, you can, I don't have aromatization issues ever, which is great. I have lab work to always back that up. Um, the growth hormone is probably going to stay at four. I use four. By the way, growth hormone is great for the gut for those of you listening out there. So the growth hormone is probably going to stay at four. I use maybe, maybe take it up to six. I use, I will never go above six. I use ever. Um, and then, uh, like Tony was saying, I like, I think that the bioidenticals are great. The only androgenic drug I think that I'm going to be playing with is Primo probably pretty much from this point on, I think Primo, if you can get real Primo, it's phenomenal. And then, um, Mast is underrated. So Primo Mast are kind of my two androgenic drugs that I really, really like because it balances out the test. Test is like the best muscle builder that is so underrated. And everyone's like talking about like Tran and Deca and all this stuff. I like Deca for the joint support, but like test is so good and you feel so good on it and you don't feel horrible on it. So I just like the balance of the two. And then the growth hormone just makes you feel better. And then what Tony's saying with keeping in check with the insulin, I'm really huge on gut health. So as long as your gut stays in check, which androgenic drugs affect the corticoid receptor, we already know that. Um, if you affect the corticoid receptor and you're not interpartitioning things right, why are you even going to take an androgenic drug that's counteracting what you actually are trying to accomplish, which is that amazing nutrient partitioning and protein, muscle protein synthesis that you're trying to get at. So staying healthy while you're doing it, I have found is the best thing. That's why I say TRT and GH and a little bit of insulin is pretty much all that you really need to grow. I mean, I, I've been saying that for a little while now, whether people want to listen to it or not, I don't know, but that, I'm, I'm a huge, that's why like when Tony said what he is taking, I was like, finally, someone. <laughs> you know, I, I say, I say a day as a natty is a day wasted, but uh, I don't even know how to deal with a year. A year, a year of your life, David. What, what's happening? Man, I'm 29 <laughs> years old and I'm sacrificing my prime. <laughs> how was that year? You can That's never exactly. go back in time and get this time back yeah. that you could have been on gear. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see if I can go from like, <laughs> so this is where it's going to be fun. If I can go from like a 210 to, because the biggest I've ever been is 237 um, and a relatively healthy 237, like no gut issues how, or anything. How tall are you? I'm 5'8". 
So relatively big, um, but like for back then, um, I'm thinking that I can push it without having any gut issues. I think I could think I can hit like a solid, like 15, 16% body fat, 245, and then see if I can squeeze back in the classic physique at 190 pounds, which is my weight cap. I, I did, I went from 237 to, um, 190 cool. last time I hit 188, no diuretics or anything like that. I don't use diuretics. Um, and, uh, squeezed in and I'm not sure if I can do it again, but we'll see, because I just think that the progress coming out of this is going to be the, one of the craziest things that anyone has ever seen. I'm going to be like two compounds plus just bioidenticals. Well, I guess one androgenic compound and bioidenticals on that. That's it. That's interesting. You, you're going to go through what Tony's going through after you came out of, uh, COVID, like, you you go through this depletion phase or like pendulum or whatever where you don't have shit in your system and you're so sensitive to things that 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 progress out of it is like where you're experiencing the fullness or like the high IDF levels plus some a little bit of anabolics and and everything is just cranking even though you're like I've been way bigger than this before but you're just like at this such a low base coming off of there like that progress I feel like is more that's the portion that's like addictive in a sense because it's it's okay i'm okay with my size now but if i went down like 10 or 15 pounds smaller i'm like 235 240 so if i went from like where i'm at back down to 220 and then i like came back up that process of coming up is like you're like oh this is fun this is a ton of fun growing that you know what i mean yeah. And I do monitor my health marker. So this is the experiment that I'm going to be doing. I have a blood pressure comp and I have blood glucose tests. Um, so I'm going to make sure that I say insulin resistant the whole time or insulin resistant, insulin sensitive the whole time. As soon as I get insulin resistant, I'm not going to push insulin up. Like I like low dose, like Tony was saying, low doses of everything. Um, um, I will make sure that I'm taking like berberine. I'm not going to switch over to metformin. Metformin is getting pushed so hard by people right now. And I think berberine does a better job with blood glucose management. Um, so I'm a huge fan of berberine, but I'm, I want to make sure my heart stays in check. I'm going to get an echocardiograph test when I'm during this process. I'm also going to be doing um, a calcium score test. I'm turning 30. So that's my 30th birthday to myself is getting all my labs run to make sure that I still have lifespan left in the sport. If not, I can shut it down earlier. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to consider my life wasted, but I mean, I'll, I'll definitely like you can definitely be smart as long as you have the answers ahead of time. And you can foresee what's going to come where you're not like, okay, I'm going to hit a cycle of trend and your resting heart rate's 100 already, then, yeah, okay, good luck. I, I want to hear about that MGF. Uh, I've never yeah. I've read about it a little bit, but is it the like antithesis of IGF? I, don't, I haven't dug much into the so, mechanical growth factor or something. Yeah, so when you take growth hormone, I'm going to start at the top. When you take growth hormone, your body breaks growth hormone down into all these other peptides, including probably TB500 and BBZ157 and, you know, everything. So, like, you can take more growth hormone and you get more of all these peptides, MGF, IGF, everything. Or you can just focus on, you know, blasting one peptide. But it's the same type of thing. Like, just blasting MGF by itself isn't going to do a lot if you have other limiting factors. So like MGF um, with HGH and, and, and insulin and anabolics is going to do a lot more than MGF by itself. So I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to think that 
because what someone would take from it is MGF is a miracle. They go out and buy just MGF and they're like, wait, this didn't do all the stuff I thought. It's like, yeah, because you're like jumping ahead to the, the end chapter of the book, like the more advanced stuff. You add the other stuff on first and then when you add this on top, you, you see some magic. So MGF builds new muscle cells. So like you have the ability to grow your current muscle cells bigger or they have the ability to split and create other muscle cells and there's satellite cells inside that, and there's like they can create more nucleus and all that. So it works sort of on the DNA level of like building a stronger foundation for more muscle cells. So usually use IGF and MGF um, strategically together, but not at the same time because they're, 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 they're not supposed to be in the system at the same time. What happens is like uh, MGF is released while you're training and that's what's giving you that first stimulation of the muscle, like, hey, there's damage, we're going to have to repair, maybe we need to upregulate everything. And then IGF comes in after the fact, right? So we, we usually, if we're going to time it in one workout, we'd be on MGF during the workout, and we'd take IGF, like, immediately after the workout type thing. So there's lots of different ways to approach it. We could do, like, just one week of MGF by itself and then we could do one week of IGF or we could do every other day MGF one day IGF the next day but the point is the the most results come from using supposedly come from using both but at different times uh, because one is they're, they're they're both completing different parts of the muscle hyperplasia the new muscle cell building process so uh, but but MGF is one that doesn't isn't as likely to grow things like tumors or have these other side effects that that IGF does. And then the other thing about that's very confusing about MGF and IGF is normally MGF is released in the muscle in response to hard exercise, and it's gone. As soon as it hits the bloodstream, it's gone. It's like really local inside that muscle. It doesn't travel to other parts of the body and grow muscle. And so you have MGF injections where it will grow the muscle you injected in, but it's not going to do anything to the rest of the muscles. And I don't want to be a pin cushion and injecting every possible muscle in my body. Uh, so I use MGF PEG, which is like a four-hour active life of MGF instead of a 30-minute active life of P MGF. And then it's able to travel throughout the body better, and, and I don't have to focus so much on injecting it into a specific site. Uh, same thing with I, IGF. There's IGF death, which is really short acting, and people inject it directly in the muscle, um, but it still goes systemic to an effect, uh, to a, a, to an extent. Or there's MGF LR3, which lasts a full day, and definitely doesn't matter where you inject it because it's going to go all over, plenty of time to circulate through the whole body. So, like you know, there's when people are starting out lifting, they don't need to be worrying about building new muscle cells because their muscle cells are so small, it's so easy for them to just grow the current muscle cells. But at a certain point, when, you get, when you've kind of inflated your muscles as much as they can and it starts becoming this law of diminishing returns, then it's like, okay, if I, if I go back and build a stronger foundation and build more new muscle cells, then it's going to be easier for me to grow in the future. And, and we oftentimes think of MGF and IGF not as like, hey, I want to get huge for the next couple of weeks, even though it does that. We're thinking more like years down the road. We're trying to build new muscle cells now so that it's going to be easier to get bigger and stay bigger later. It's, an, it's a long-term. I think of it, even though it has an immediate effect, I think of it more like a long-term benefit. And I think it's worked good because, you know, when I lost 38 pounds, from the Rona, a lot of people were like, see, that's why I don't take steroids. Look, 
two weeks of no eating and he lost all his genes. He lost decades worth of work, all wow. these steroids he took for nothing. But then check it out how fast I can get it back. You know, and I was limited by my cardiovascular capacity and my heart and my lungs were still recovering from so much damage. But if it wasn't for that, I would have been gaining, you know, easily a pound and a half per day. Of course, a lot of it's water and carbs and all this stuff. But, like, if you have the muscle cells there, you can reinflate them again very quickly. And that's what I want. So that's what I'm trying for. Is I'm trying to keep a low-maintenance physique to where if someone's like, hey, I want you to be in a photo shoot. Not that I have to do photo shoots, but, like, if I want, if I want to look awesome within a short period of time, I have such a good framework that I can be stage ready in 10 days or I can be ready for a photo shoot in 10 days or I can go, you know, in Olympia starting 10 days out. It's like, okay, I'll gain another 10 pounds for Olympia and I'll, and I'll still be shredded and look, look awesome. It's about being low maintenance. So I think MGF is a good investment into being, becoming more low maintenance. I have two, two thoughts on that, Tony. First, like, so MGF, if there's some capacity for SEO, with like site enhancement is it, it's probably beneficial with hgh right if you're you, from that cascade you were talking about but then which led me to thinking about what is it full stem 344 or something which doesn't seem to be super effective is it hypothetically or what are your thoughts on that is that could that be one of the reasons why that doesn't seem to be effective in humans the, like for myostatin what is it the full statin 30 444 yeah. or something. Yeah. Is it because I, something, something in the precursor to it is like missing for <laughs> myostatin reduction for that to be effective. And as you were talking about that, I was like, I wonder if that's potentially why that peptide for myostatin is not effective because some precursor well, is missing. Yeah. None, none of us know exactly what the whole myostatin story. We're all speculating, right? But it's an interesting thing to speculate about. But my my quick summary is that in mice and in, in cows, maybe the myostatin gene has more of a role in controlling muscle growth than in humans. And that myostatin is something that it, it's involved in everything that we do, because when we're talking about this pendulum theory and tricking the body, a lot of what we're talking about is actually myostatin and, and other biological things that prevent us from gaining too much muscle for survival purposes. And I think possibly the issue with myostatin is that you need to keep it suppressed all the time like a spring. And like if myostatin, you, you take a bunch of supplements today and you push myostatin down, but it bounces right back up tomorrow, you've made no progress. It's like you've got to keep myostatin down for a longer period of time. And I, 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 were, I think maybe what's happening with these peptides is they're just not keeping that spring pushed down hard enough, long enough, you know, and that's, and that's a challenge. And then, you know, so the, the future of it is this, uh, when you modify your genetics with a CRISPR machine and, and, and all that, but, you know, even, even then we haven't seen come out with, and I would, and I wouldn't even do that. Everybody thought, oh, Tony, you would be the first one to go get his myostatin gene modified. No, no, because all these supplements and drugs I'm using have short half-lives. I don't want to take something that permanently genetically mutates myself. And that's the main reason why I'm not taking the government injection, because I don't want anything permanently altering my body. I'll take a steroid. I'll take a SARM because I know the effects and side effects both are very short acting. 
you know, unless I take it long-term for chronic, but I, at least I have control of that. So I think that's the issue that we have with the myostatin. Like you could go the, the full extreme in genetic modification, but then you've got this risk. And, you know, like how do we land in between? How do we not have a peptide that's only going to suppress myostatin for, you know, 10 minutes uh, versus the other extreme of permanently genetically modifying ourselves. How do we keep myostatin just, you know, depressed 30%, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a period of time. And there's lots of natural things that, that do it like epicatechin, for example, from, from chocolate extract and seaweed and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I think, you know, I, I think these stuff, does work. I think it absolutely works. Anything that suppresses myostatin, it works. It's just that this is it significant enough to be worth the money and the time and the energy compared to other things that we can still be taking at this time. So I don't know that myostatin is is like what's going to be the future over the next couple of years. I think that bodybuilders still have a lot more they can learn about insulin IGF HGH for this next chapter before they start getting into more theoretical things. That's. I actually wanted to bring that up. I was going to ask you, Tony, because you're always you're talking about you know pioneering human evolution and you know getting better as a species. So I was asking, what do you think like 25, 30 years out looks like? I mean, is there going to be something that I can do CRISPR wise or some other new thing where I can I can end up looking like Craig Goliath in two years? And if you're not familiar with Craig Goliath, he's sponsored by EA. He is. A monster. Seems like a super nice guy. I've never met him. I know you got you got Seth and Tony have, but he's just a monster. What is he like? Six five, three thirty, something like that. I mean, yeah, he says he's about three hundred and fifty pounds right now. Wow, which is, is massive. Yeah. So I mean, do you guys think one day I could go into some crazy clinic? It'll probably cost me fifty grand. It'll probably come down over years, but I can like they'll be able to modify our genetics and our DNA in order to where we do have the perfect IGF levels all the time. And what are your thoughts on 30, 40 years out? I, I, I'll go. Um, so I think I'd like to read a, like a couple studies per week on, on varying topics and the database I tend to go to, and then come, come from there to somewhere else is NCVI. And they have this feature on the side that shows you how many articles or papers have come out per year. And so I've been reading, you know, several papers per week for yeah, a couple of years at this point. And recently, about two months ago, I did stem cells. I started, I was like, I need to look into this. I don't have any fucking understanding of stem cells, how they work, what they're all about. I was like, let me at least find one paper I can read to just start like the iceberg, right? Let me just start on that. And you search stem cells. And it is exponential. So, like, the, there's an exponential curve in including 2021, which you would think the research might be decreasing. But stem cells are, you're talking about if he, in the next 20, 30 years, stem cells, the amount of research around stem cells, because it can affect literally every aspect of health or, or medicine, if you want to call it that, from cardiology to schizophrenia to fucking across the board, knee replacement, anything. You get this undifferentiated cell that you can basically try to create a path. And I, and I don't call myself an expert. I don't even pretend like I know what I'm fucking talking about. But stem cell, you have this undifferentiated cell that you can just, okay, this is what we're going to do with it. And you could grow a new 
kidney because your kidneys are failing from taking too much gear, right? Or you can create a new liver just from like that. And it's super, I, I don't know. I see that being, when, when you see this exponential curve that can impact literally every different area of medicine or, you know, and, and it touches like so many different areas and you see that much data. I've just never seen that in two to three years that much data being pushed in one area. We you know what's really interesting is that a lot of these new medicines that they're in treatments that they're coming out with is basically figuring out how to use our own body to heal itself. You know, like there's stuff to where like there's something that, you know, makes your natural white blood cells attack cancer cells. And like, for example, like PRP therapy, you know, they stake and, and centrifuge down your blood. They take all the good stuff that provides healing and repair and they inject it specifically into certain spots. So they're, it's interesting that a lot of these treatments, they're kind of ending up with our body already knows how to do it and how it can do it better than anything else. We just have to tell it to do it specifically. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> So, so the military and a lot of private companies and biotech companies are so much further ahead in the science than we know, right? Because they, they won't even publish a study on something and reveal what they're actually studying until they've actually done all their internal studies and they know that it actually works. So stem cells are the same way. Like stem cells, the technology is advanced enough now that we should we could make our own. I mean, it costs it costs a lot of money because there's a supply and demand and availability of the equipment. But you can make your own stem cells at home, and it it really depends on. It's not a limitation on like how fast technology can progress because technology is already there. We're just not aware of it. Uh, it's it's how fast the government wants to allow that information out mm -hmm. for people to have access to it. So stem cells right now could be, if it wasn't so highly regulated, every clinic on the corner would be doing every kind of stem cells, and anybody has any problems, boom, just go in and get stem cells and repair the organs, and the, the and and the science would evolve so much faster because there would be competition in the marketplace. The problem is there's no competition because the science is so far ahead. And the organizations are just trying to, they're spending, I bet you, way more resources trying to figure out how to monopolize and control the technology than actually coming out with the technology. Uh, so it's in 20 or 30 years, I don't think it's a matter of what technology will be created. I think it's already there or it's easily creatable. It's a matter of what's the government and political position going to be on uh, allowing humans to modify their own bodies versus having to follow the instructions of, of the government. And as you can see, we're losing our medical freedom. I'm worried that in 30 years, pretty much all supplements are going to require some kind of license to even use them. You know, So I think there's the other direction we could go is we could go way backwards. I think, what I, well, I think what's gonna happen is in 30 years, the Amazon will have monopolized the supplement industry and made it so expensive and so difficult because of all the increased licensing requirements with the government that a small supplement company is never going to be able to compete. At which point, the supplement, at which point, Amazon has no incentive to improve technology. They are just going to sit on the same crappy quality stuff that they can mark up 10 times because now there's no competition. Microsoft. Yeah. Amazon, you've seen the movie Idiocracy. I'm sure you so many guys have seen it. It's like future world where everyone's like just ridiculously dumb. 
Um, they they're all hungry because they feed their crops. It's like it's just like Gatorade type stuff. Oh yes, but, but oh it's and in like some it's of those like, movies where like you know it's futuristic and there's just like one corporation and that's you know whatever it is like Amazon's that's where they're going. I used to think it was Google, but Google didn't jump into you know get into all that other stuff. And um, people don't realize that Amazon. You may buy a shirt that's called like Oats and Hall or something on Amazon. That's their house brand. So they have, they don't just sell other people's stuff. They have their own brands for stuff. And I remember watching a documentary on this guy that was selling paintball parts, paintball gun parts on Amazon. And basically Amazon, once they found out that he was selling a lot of this stuff and making money, they just go to the manufacturer and say, Hey, we want to take the same product. We'll slap Amazon on it or some other name and we'll start throwing it on Amazon. Amazon is, Amazon is shady. I, I had a business that got kicked off Amazon all the time. Uh, basically, the Chinese sellers that we competed with, they fill out some forms. They'll actually buy your product. They'll buy your product. They'll say it's not as advertised. And once you hit a certain threshold on Amazon, they just pull down your listing. It's gone. They make you write an appeal. It takes two to three weeks. You have no one to talk to. It's all just no reply emails that they send to you. It's it's pretty wild. And I mean, you see the Amazon truck everywhere. They're in they, I mean, they have own a big portion of the internet with their AWS. So Amazon decides, hey, you know what, Walmart, we don't want you on the internet anymore. So all your backups gone, all your cloud computing's gone, you're done. On a, on a company standpoint, I be, like I pay attention to this stuff and then I pay attention to Tesla. I've been following them for about 10 years. They're developing AGI. Like that shit's going to be crazy which is artificial intelligence like general artificial intelligence so so think of the theoretical idea of having a robot a ai of some sort where it is intelligent or has a conscience to to the degree that a machinery can have a conscience right and they're going through this process of actually developing this to coming out with a humanoid robot based upon solving the vision problem and it's going to be rudimentary at, at the beginning stages but when you look at neural networks deep learning that's a data type of a problem obviously it requires a lot of engineering hours to take care of it but if you put out something where you can gather stupid massive amounts of data and put that together to create a AGI that is growing exponentially because you have the technology growth, but then you also have a neural network and machine learning growth. So you have this almost double exponential growth that is not just, you think like, oh, exponential growth, but you actually have a compounding effect because you have the technology is growing from a hardware standpoint, but it's also growing from a software standpoint. It, I mean, this stuff is, think about literally almost any job you could possibly think of. That, you know, it's, I don't know how far away it is, but the growth on that shit is crazy. Well, it's always, it's always worked out well in the movies when we create robots. It's always turned out well for everyone. We have a peaceful society. The robots work hand in hand to us. They never turn on us. Um, Just why real quick, you know, interesting. If we had a bunch of robots, they would all need to communicate with each other. And a lot of different devices have, it's called IOT, the internet of things. So this is completely random, but like, for instance, like a, a car wash, they'll have sensors that tells them when a certain soap is getting low or certain water is getting low. 
and they have to like pay for a Verizon hotspot to be able to get the data to a cell phone tower. There's a really cool crypto project called Helium. And basically they're trying to create a decentralized internet, like for data for your phone. One of the, I have one of their miners and I have an antenna temporarily taped to a window because I had some issues with installation. Um, but the idea is you could open up their app, you could purchase their Helium HNT coins. And let's say, you know, for Tony, Tony has to, he's here in the US right now, um, he might have to get a new phone because it runs on a different network or a different, you know, technology to where Tony is on the HNT network. He can open up the app, turn on the data, and he's just going to pay for all the data he uses. And the data gets fed from Tony's phone to my antenna through my internet. So you're basically creating an internet that can't really be shut down per se. Um, and all of it's encrypted and all that. So I thought you guys would find that interesting. I thought our audience may find it interesting. Um, so it's called Helium. That is, if you could think about getting rid of Verizon and think of all the profits that would go to Verizon and you split that up, say, over their shareholders, hypothetically, if shareholders had miners, and that would be a very, very interesting network. And they're actually, they're coming out, they're working on, they just got like $111 million in funding to do 5G. So the, right. the frequency they use is a real low frequency. In the United States, it's 915. Um, so it can go out like theoretically five kilometers per antenna. Uh, it depends on your setup. But if they could build a 5G network where all I do is pay for the data, because I don't use a lot of data outside. I don't go to Starbucks and stream, you know, 4K YouTube. I've got Wi-Fi at my house, and I pretty much use a little bit of data when I'm driving around. So, so I'm going to spin off of what Sam said, what Tony said, and kind of wrap everything together. So you guys were talking about the evolution of bodybuilding, where I see it in 20 to 30 years. I'm going to just say the evolution of mankind and health and medical. Um, so I think Tony is correct. We have a lot to learn about growth hormone. IGF-1 also, but growth hormone and insulin, how they conjunct together. Um, and then if you want to see the next step, I think, by the way, I wanted to ask you a question about arachidonic acid combined with the MG, uh, MGF-1. Uh, I thought that'd be kind of interesting uh, just for the hypertrophy combined with the growth effects, maybe speeding up the cells. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you a question, theorize that one. So just think on that one for a second. Um, but I think peptides and super dosing peptides to basically kill off cancer and stuff like that is going to be the next step in the medical field. It won't happen. It won't be legalized. I already know that it's FDA is starting to stomp out the peptide industry already, but um, getting pure peptides and curing cancer and stuff like that, I think is going to be the next step. And then you're talking about stem cells and AI. So the, the software issue has never been an issue because it goes two times, two, it's exponential. Every two years, it's a theory that has never disappointed. Every two years, it's going to be times two to the second exponent. So storage has never been an issue. It's the getting the data that you need to create and apply it to the software issue. That's where AI gets an issue is the actual human thought process behind it. It's kind of like trying to theorize with string theory. Like you can only theorize so much because your command, your mind can only expand so much when really when you go into the quantum realm, it's opposite of the normal physics. So they're having the same issues with the AI and the exponential equations that can come out of and theorize because they once the data points are there they'll be fine it's it can be self-sufficient and then the, and then when you're talking about stem cells if china's already doing stuff with this we already know they've been doing stuff with for cloning yeah. and stuff like that you can literally create a cyborg once you have the artificial intelligence in place 
You can literally create human body parts and create a literally walking human that's going to be more intelligent than us. And we'll never know it when the day comes. Um, I highly doubt they're ever going to publicize that anything even close has happened. But it's going to. So I just want to combine like everything that you guys said together, kind of talk about where I think the medical field is going, um, the next steps. And I think there's an unknown space within the peptide community that's never going to be tapped into because it's anti-cancer. It's longevity. Government makes money off sick people. A decentralized <laughs> that would be shut down so fast because everything they want centralized. Even uh, like massive corporations, they uh, like a warehouse, for instance. We're talking about Amazon. At one point in time, they had decentralized warehouses, and then they had to create their own software to centralize the warehouse so that they could talk to each other and they could communicate for a supply chain management system. So you have to think of that data flowing in that sense as well. That you do want a centralized system. But is there control and stipulations in place? Of course. And that's what they're trying to do is decentralize. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think it's awesome in theory, but in practice, that's going to be shut down so hard eventually. But it's super cool. Like conceptually, that's very, very cool. And I like that it's like tied into a currency as well, because then the government can't control it. So uh, government's already put some type of stipulations in with Bitcoin. So that there's traceability to a Bitcoin, because when the hackers are coming in and holding hostage, the government facilities, they were basically getting these Bitcoins that you can't trace, but there are tags to it now. So um, even that's centralized to a degree or traceable to a degree now. Um, so yeah. If you want to go down a rabbit hole with cryptocurrency, look at Monero or XMR. It's untraceable crypto. It basically, it'll take, so it'll take like 25 transactions and it swirls them all together and the person will receive the money. But when you look at it, it shows that this random person sent this random person a certain amount of money, but it's not actually correct. And the government put out a few months ago, like a $1.5 million bounty on anyone that can trace that, but they haven't oh, been able to get it. It's cool. called like ring signatures or something. Yeah. So check out Monero. Monero is pretty cool. Tony, well, I know you mentioned one. crypto. So Tony, I know you've mentioned crypto a few times on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's in the future, you will not be able to have freedom without crypto. I mean, this money is the way that they control us, really. So money and information. So you got to find out a way to get information that's not controlled and money that's not controlled. And that's how we take the power back. But, you know, that's what you're going to see this split. Same thing with medicine and the future of bodybuilding chemistry. You've got this split of people that are going to follow the mainstream and you've got people like us who are using peptides. And I mean, think about it. It's not like we're, it's not illegal what we're doing, but it will become illegal if more people do it. Like if more people start using SARMs, then that's when they say, oh, this is a threat to the mainstream. Now we get rid of it. If more people start using decentralized internet, okay, it's a threat, get rid of it. So it's like we, us in our community, we can survive outside the matrix and we can treat ourselves and we can have better quality of life and manipulate our own body chemistry than the people inside the matrix. But by doing so, it's also more, it's, it becomes a little bit more expensive outside the matrix because like you're con the matrix is constantly trying to take away these things from us. So it makes it all even more difficult. 
and, and constantly trying to censor it so that people don't have the information to get outside the matrix to be able to treat themselves. And I think it's going to be the same thing 30 years from now. I think I'll be able to always, in 30 years, I'll be able to navigate. And if I get cancer, I'll go to an underground clinic and get some alternative treatment and I'll be great. And whereas the mainstream people are going to go keep, I mean, I bet you they're still going to be using chemo 30 years from now. It's just <laughs> profitable not to, right? So they'll still be blasting people with chemo and all these things and people are going to go to their doctor every week and get some other new injection. They have no idea what it is. And, and we're going to be outside of that, and we're going to have access to But it's going to be expensive. Like right now, stem cells is expensive. People often pay $10,000 for a stem cell treatment. It shouldn't cost $10,000. It costs $10,000 because it's being suppressed, right? It should cost $2,000, right? It's probably marked up, you know, five times just because it's gray area. For the, for the most part, or it's controlled within the medical community. But I, I personally would per, go to another country and get stem cells. I'll go to Mexico probably next month and get stem cells. So I think it's going to be the same thing 30 years from now, that same dynamic. What, what are you going to do? Go ahead. What's, what's interesting is I follow, I play disc golf. I don't know if you guys know about it, but there's a guy named Simon Lazat. He's really good. And his elbow, his elbow's been hurting him. He's actually was taken out. He's stopped playing for like a year and he's been going to like a physical therapist and stuff. And I mentioned him like twice and I was like, bro, I was like, look up BPC 157 and TB 500. I was like, I'm not trying to sell you on it. I'm not trying to sell you. I said, just do research. But, you know, he gets so many messages on Instagram. I'm sure he never saw it. So he's just going to continue probably taking pain meds, you know, doing physical therapy and, you know, inside the matrix, he just doesn't know that this exists. And that the, the, the end side is like the ibuprofen or pain meds, and that's fucking up your gut and your liver. And then it makes it even harder to actually fix the shit in your elbow. And it's a <laughs> downward spiral. Like, Oh, you know, the most shocking thing coming back to the U S to me was how unhealthy everyone is. And it's, you know, body fat's a big part of it, but it's everything, just like, just skin and just body language and just breathing. I don't know, just, I mean, I'm in Sacramento. I think this is probably the least healthy people I've seen in the entire world that I've traveled around. Uh, but it's bizarre how I think, like, probably 90% of people in Sacramento appear, you know, visually unhealthy. But I just came from Thailand where 90% of people appear visually healthy, you know, so uh, which this is interesting because in Thailand, there's a lot more freedom. You can buy stuff over the counter and, you know, there's less suppression of information. And, and here we have so much control and the government tries to take control of our health. And now we see what the result is, right? The government taking control of our health is destroying our health. So the question is, is America still going to be the leader in medical fascism 30 years from now or not? You know, you know I, I think, think, I think about a lot of people in other countries are, are so much healthier is, you know, just from your Instagram stories, when you walk through that market, you know, where they have the food, I mean, those are local places, you know, local vegetables, local meat that you're getting. You know, if you look at Asian culture and what they eat, it's typically low fat vegetable or low fat meats uh with vegetables and a little bit of like rice and stuff like that whereas i mean look what we eat here in america all processed all garbage super high in salt like have you ever looked at like a salad from chili's on their nutritional that's like 4200 milligrams of salt you know and that's that's one meal and listen i'm not the pillar of health i'm not over you know but but it is crazy. I mean, I used to eat really unhealthy. I would go to McDonald's and get two bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits. I think that's 750 calories. 
you know, for lunch, eat a public sub. Uh, if you don't know public subs, they're awesome. Um, but then, you know, it, but it's just so much processed shit that we eat. Whereas a lot of other countries, you get fresh food, you walk down to a market, you buy vegetables, you buy a piece of chicken or some shrimp and you go home and cook it. Well, so there's I'm, less chance of all that garbage. I'm going to talk on this one. I mean, like, yeah, there's so many processed foods and, um, you know, fast food places and all over the States. Um, but there's also like fresh fruits and, you know, there's these like vegetable farms and stuff like that, that we have here that are available. People just don't utilize. So they just take the easy way out and go to these fast food joints, but, yo, I want to have a burger, or, you know, fries or, um, you know, chicken wings or whatever. And they just don't have these other options or, you know, they don't know where to go to go get these things. So if they would actually do a little research or come to like, you know, a professional or their doctor or whatever to, uh, you know, like basically say, oh, you can go there to get your foods. Maybe like this obese problem won't even happen in America. Yeah, but how much how much is the responsibility of the individual versus the government, right? I would think that it, all of this should be individual responsibility. But on the other hand, the government is interfering because the government works with these large mega corporations to try to make the laws more difficult for small farmers or small businesses to comply to comply with. So I came back to Sacramento, and I noticed all the small businesses are out of business. The lockdowns just just, just decimated. Small business can't survive in California. But what's doing really well is now that all the small businesses are gone, all the large corporations, all the fast food chains, all the big businesses are booming. And now when I drive around, they've replaced uh, a restaurant that would have carried healthier food with now a Wendy's or a McDonald's. And, and now it's every, like every corner I look for a restaurant. I don't know if other people notice this happening, but I look for a restaurant and it's like Wendy's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Chipotle. I'm like, where did all the normal restaurants go? And and you'd say, okay, well, people are willing to pay a little bit more, but it's not just it's not just a little bit more for a small business to try to to start up. It's actually going to provide a quality product that cares about its customers. It's just not even feasible. And, and, the, and the thing that we don't talk about is the costs, like that are from a health standpoint, okay, you get this like a uh, burger, right? You've got your two burgers or whatever from McDonald's, right? And, and you can get your food from McDonald's or Wendy's or, or Taco Bell or whatever. But then there's the cost of the impact on your health, which nobody fucking talks about. And you look at data on the, even for farming for vegetables, the, I was just looking up something on potassium and, and celery or potassium and something. And over the course of, three decades worth of time they check the potassium content of celery and you get to see a clear fucking line that is going down due to farming ways of things so like if, if i part of i feel my purpose in life is to create more people to start taking action on their life and they don't need to agree with what i have to say or anything but just if if i can get more of the population of a planet to start taking the, the tiniest modicum, like the smallest fucking step in their life yeah. towards achieving fulfillment or happiness or success. But I, you don't use my definitions, use your definitions yeah. and just take the smallest step. Like that is the vision I have for my life of how I would love, because Tony, you're like personal freedom, government. Well, I think everybody probably on here, but most of the people who are probably listening also agree 
It's personal responsibility. So like, what do we do as individuals? What's something like a practical that people can take away from this that they can start to do to encourage personal responsibility and action in their own fucking life? Because it's so you can only, you can only do so much. It. You can only do so much. What did Nicki Minaj say? She said, if one uh, one party told you to put marbles up your ass, you'd do it. But if another party told you to get, you know, to get out of the way from a bus, you'd get hit. You can only push people so far. Yeah. But I don't want to get too far into that. I say the reason I created my YouTube channel is because TRT is so misdiagnosed as depression. Um, you know, here's an SSRI. Here's Viagra. It's not going to cure you. You're just going to have to take these pills for the rest of your life, which feeds a pharmaceutical company. Um I was really, so before I started TRT, I was working like crazy. I own my own company, making a shit ton of money. Fantastic. But I wasn't taking care of my health. I was working too much. I wasn't working out, eating garbage. I got up to, I'm six foot. I got up to 247 pounds and I got tested. I was at 288. And, but even before that, I was waking up every morning with back pain. And I was like, oh, my bus must need a new bed. Got a brand new bed. Back pain didn't go away. Started going to a chiropractor. Back pain didn't go away. And if I had continued down that path of eating like garbage and being overweight, I would have probably ended up getting pills. I would have probably, they probably were, you know, pain pills. That would have caused another thing of side effects. Then maybe I ended up on SSRIs. Now I'm 275. I've got ED. So now I'm taking Viagra. And now I'm further and further into this system of decline where the only thing that's, it's not making me better, but it's alleviating the symptoms are these pharmaceutical monthly subscriptions. You know, they're not treatments. It's a monthly subscription. You know, I can sell you a TV for a hundred bucks. Cool. I make 30. I rent you that TV for five bucks for five years. I make 200 bucks. So I'm just so glad that I just kind of, you know, what the fuck am I doing with myself? I'm going down this path and you only have one life. So I don't know if you're listening to this, go to the fucking gym eat some vegetables, cook your own meat, look into supplements, watch all of our channels, subscribe to all of our channels and watch every single thing that we put out. Click on the like and subscribe button. I don't know. You guys, you think that was a good segue into kind of wrapping it up? Yeah, sure. I, I want to close out on the small farm thing really fast though. So you're talking about potassium in the soils, right? In the foods, we're micronutrients in general, right? So if you look at the sulfate levels in the soils, the sulfur can literally kills cancer. So you're talking about chemotherapy, Tony. I've seen literally studies that 40 grams of MSM a day is better than chemotherapy at killing the cancer off. And this is it's a sol it's literally just sulfate. It's sulfur in the body. And those micronutrients are just ones that we don't get anymore. And we could support local farmers. It's more expensive. But shoot, my wife came home with berries last week and I was literally popping them like candy. They were like massive. I've never had <laughs> berries like that before in my life. I'm like, yeah, you can get this again. It was worth the twenty dollars for the little like bushel. <laughs> but um probably go broke if she keeps doing that. But Either way, um, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. I thought the micronutrient thing was cool, but yes, close it out. David, I did want to hear your your thoughts on the arachidonic acid before you head out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So I want to theorize with Tony really fast because you're talking about MGK or uh, MGF, which to be honest, I, I didn't even like think about it. I know it's like a prerequisite and it comes with, with the tail after the growth hormone and stuff like that. But I never have actually heard of like injecting MG MGF until right now on this podcast. So 
I was just listening and trying to theorize while you were talking um, about ways to optimize that process <clears throat> and things that people don't talk about ever, literally ever. I've never heard anyone mention it besides me right now is arachidonic acid is literally the first step to muscle hypertrophy. Now, obviously in the, our adulthood, muscle hypertrophy can occur, um, but muscle hyperplasia is very difficult to occur. And what Tony is referring to is trying to create muscle hyperplasia. So why, when we were do, going through this process, if we add in a little bit of arachidonic acid right before you're taking your MGF, before you go to work out, then you can't do it every day because you'll probably end up having a heart attack. It's really, really bad for you. It's, um, but taking a little bit of uh, arachidonic acid before you go into that process when you're hitting that MGF and then you're taking your IGO afterwards. So you're basically trying to optimize that process to optimizing your hyper or hypertrophy while you're introducing hyperplasia at the same time to get those cells to expand to the best of your ability. And I've also, there are some studies hinting towards that actually anabolic steroids and the use of it over time, a long period of time, it crowds the muscles and it can potentially, they're not hundred percent sure, can potentially create hyperplasia with the crowding the muscles. Yep. So if you can cr create these new cells and you can crowd it at the same time by expanding so quickly, it, in theory, I would think that you would actually create, create more hyperplasia at the same time while getting more of that hypertrophy at the same. So I, I want to hear your thoughts on that because I know you know where I'm going with this in theory. Um, and okay. like I said, I was just trying to theorize while you were talking and I thought it would be a cool combination, cool conversation. Yeah, so arachidonic acid is stored in the muscle kind of like creatine. So, you know, you could take some before the workout and hope some gets in and works, but it's kind of like you want to build it up in the muscle. And we naturally already have it in the muscle when we work out. It, the, the muscle through the hard contractions converts it to prostaglandins, which is a bodybuilding drug that bodybuilders inject directly into the muscle. But I, I wouldn't recommend that because it's uh, quite painful. And uh, I did it on my Thai girlfriend. I paid her 30 bucks, let me inject it with her on video. And I have the whole thing on whole thing on video of her rolling around the floor, screaming in pain, and then running to the bathroom with diarrhea because once it goes systemic, it also it, it impacts the digestive system. It's going back, vomiting, diarrhea, vomiting. You know, it's funny, though. I, I, uh, I, I give her the 1,000 baht, which is $30, and then... She then she asked for another shot. She's like, "Can I get another thirty bucks and I do it again?" After going through all that pain, that's how much Thai women love money. Thirty bucks is thirty bucks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can go lot goes a long way in Thailand too. So so then it, it sensitizes the muscle cells to androgens and to peptides, and it causes the muscle to release more peptides. So like this inflammation process that David David's saying is the beginning of the muscle growth process. It is. If you just break down the muscle, but you don't signal for the muscle to, to, to grow hormonally, then nothing happens, right? Just a broken muscle doesn't just repair itself for no reason. The inflammation is that trigger. Uh, but, yes, too much inflammation, then exactly, heart attack, whatever, who knows, all kinds of problems throughout your whole body. So we don't want to use it for extended periods of time. We don't want to use so much that it spills over on the rest of the body. But the reason why I use arachidonic acid sometimes is, like, to reset. If I feel like my muscles have lost sensitivity to things, I could come off everything and reset, or I could stay on, and I could <laughs> amplify the inflammation and resensitize my muscle cells that way. So I take a lot of bigger bodybuilders who aren't growing and I put them on that and they actually grow. And I think, okay, it's like 
the arachidonic acid is causing the growth. No, it's just resensitizing your muscles to all the other stuff you're already taking. And you could just be a natty and take arachidonic acid and not take IGF and MGF. And just because your muscle cells are now more sensitive to your natural levels, it's going to work better. So, yeah, arachidonic acid is a miracle. Also, yes, dangerous if you take too much for too long and have inflammation. Actually, I don't know if I said this before, but I got hit bad with Rona. Like, it almost killed me. And I was taking arachidonic acid when I got it. And I think that jump start of putting my body into an extreme inflammation state put my body at a, a, a serious disadvantage in dealing with with the with the Rona. So you can see how in this time period, especially when we're trying to lower inflammation, we need to use these things intelligently. But I think if used intelligently and properly, then it is game changer and everything that David hypothesized about it, uh, I think is also correct. Yeah. We should probably wrap things up. Uh, I got to run on an interesting note. I bet hypothetically, uh, you know, if we're just talking conjecture here, we could probably go along the path of arachidonic acid, increasing inflammation, while at the same time utilizing something to decrease inflammation in organs or parts of the body that are maybe um, more sensitive or that we don't want inflammation in. And, and similar to insulin and HGH, where you could take a two-pronged approach and hit it from both ways. But I, uh, this conversation has been awesome, guys. I actually have to run and get on that call. Yeah. I appreciate everybody's time. Super uh, fun listening to you guys' uh, perspectives on things. Tony, I appreciate you taking your time. Seth, appreciate you taking your time and both of you guys sharing every information. Uh, Pete or, or Dave, you guys have any last thoughts or anybody have any last thoughts we want to share everything? I was just going to say, just check us all out on social. If you're listening to this, we do have a YouTube channel where you can watch this. If you're watching this, we have a podcast. It's on all major platforms. Uh, if you've made it this far and you're still interested, you might as well freaking subscribe. You know you like the shit. So thanks, guys. Tony, Seth, friends of freedom. Uh, stay uncensored. Let people know. Post what you want on Facebook. Fuck them. Uh, that, that was a little, that was excessive. <laughs> anyway, guys, too much test podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. It's awesome. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.